Please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24 this morning, verses 36 through 47. Luke 24, 36 through 47, as we continue with the Easter story. And the context to the passage we're about to read is Jesus appearing to the disciples for the first time. In the course of the day, lots of activity has happened. There has been a great deal of speculation and conjecture as when the ladies went early in the morning, the body was not there, the stone was rolled away from the tomb, and they met with two angels. They ran back and reported this story to the rest of the disciples, and then Luke adds that wonderful story of the two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. And so, we're come to the point where it is now the evening of Easter Sunday and we read these words. While they were still talking about this, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see." A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, that is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then, then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures, and he told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. Easter weekend is for so many of us an exciting, spectacular time. Families from across the nation have been traveling the last few days to spend time with parents and grandparents and grandchildren. It is a time filled with family memories, as today some of us will have dinner and lunch with family and friends whom we love. Some of us, as I mentioned earlier, will have photographs out at the cross here and at our new building. And of course, many of those photographs we will take on our cell phones. And of course, they will go on to social media, and some of you will be trending by lunchtime because family and friends will be looking at your photographs saying, how much fun. And it is an exciting, fun time, especially when families and friends get together. Recently, a young mom sent me a meme that had been sent to her. And it was very touching because it involved a young mom. And it said this. Oh, I'm not getting a response here. Let me try that again. You're going to have to bring up the first slide for me if you can, Mitra. I woke up yesterday to a sweet and tender moment. My six-year-old was holding my hand. 
Then I realized she was trying to unlock my phone. <laughs> and that sweet and tender moment somehow, can you take me to the blank slide next, please? And that sense of moment of sweetness just evaporated in the midst of it. And that's what happens when you meet with family and friends. It becomes very real. And that sense of Easter being a time for fun and laughter and excitement with those we love is one of the great weekends of the year. But it was not that way that first Easter Sunday morning. On that morning, the disciples had endured Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Saturday, and they were left Sunday morning with debilitating, mind-numbing sadness. They were reeling from all that had happened over the last few days. I imagine some of them were confused, uncertain, just unsure of all that was happening, and they were coming back to that consistent question that they may not have thought of on Thursday or Friday, but Saturday was probably a long day, and one of the questions they would have wrestled with was simply this, Father, how could you possibly let this happen? How could you do this, and how could you let this happen to Jesus of all people? What on earth is going on here? After all He said and did, how could you possibly allow it to end this way? The impact He had in countless thousands of lives, the miraculous events that are so ingrained in our memory, and it's to end like this. How could you possibly let this happen. And then they may have gone another step amidst their grief and sadness. God could not possibly be involved in this. They were left bereft, heartbroken, confused. And then Sunday morning comes, and we read the passage a few minutes ago, and we know the story of the women closest to Jesus and the disciples go to the tomb to finish the embalming of the body, and they brought spices with them. And when they arrive, that shock and confusion doesn't end. It becomes even more complicated, because the first thing they notice, of course, is that the stone is rolled away. And as a side note, please remember this. The stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out. The stone was rolled away to let the disciples in. I'm pretty convinced if you can rise from the dead, rolling away a stone is not going to be too difficult. Wouldn't you agree? And when they arrived, of course they noticed the stone. Of course they stood at the entrance of the tomb and looked inside and the body was not there. And then the passage tells us two angels appeared to them in bright clothes and say those immortal words, He is not here. He has risen. Why do you look for the living among the dead? And not only did the ladies have multiple questions at a variety of importance, now the angels have the questions. 
Why? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? And they, of course, immediately go back and tell the disciples. In Luke's gospel, Luke goes to great lengths to write down of all the events in the gospels, who was involved, where did it happen, when did it take place. New Testament scholars tell us he is the historian of the New Testament, and he does exactly that in this event. And it says, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others were with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Why doesn't Luke simply write the ladies returned to the, to the apostles and told them, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to be like nonsense. Why give a list of the ladies who were there? Because Luke's concern for accuracy, his concern for historicity said, I want everyone who reads this gospel to understand this happened to real people on an actual Sunday morning in a real place close to Jerusalem, and I want to give you the facts and figures. Who was there when it happened? And that's why it says, and that's why he includes the details, very early in the morning while it was the first day of the week, he ties it down to real people in real places. And then we discover Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying there by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Those early hours of Easter Sunday morning filled with questions and concern. And as chapter 24 continues, you heard me mention earlier the wonderful story of two disciples walking the road to Emmaus. One of them was called Cleopas. We don't know the other one's name. Emmaus was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked to Emmaus, possibly their home, we don't know that for certain, possibly their home, Jesus Himself walks along with them. Now, think of that of all the places Jesus could have been on Easter Sunday afternoon, He's walking alongside two disciples who are hurting and grieved, and He enters into a spectacular conversation with them. And as they arrive at the place where they were going, they invite Him to come in and sit down. And when He takes the bread on the dining room table and He breaks it, then they recognize Him. And they look at each other and say, were not our hearts burning within us when He talked with us on the way? And then they rush back to Jerusalem. I suspect that was the shortest seven-mile journey of their entire life. And they burst in on the disciples and say, we've met Him. It's true what the women said earlier actually happened. And then we come to the passage that we read moments ago. And there is this gradual unfolding of divine revelation as they begin to understand the significance of the words, He is not here. He has risen. Now, let's pause for a second right there. Let's pause for a second 
hold that image in our minds of first century Jerusalem, and come with me into the 21st century. As we come into the 21st century, let me remind you, and I hinted at this earlier, on an average Sunday morning, somewhere around 60 million people will be at a worship service across the country. That's a significant number, Sunday by Sunday by Sunday. This morning, however, that number will jump to about 110 to 115 million people. Why? Because they recognize that this is not just any other Sunday. Gathering with family and friends, looking for answers, wanting, passionately longing for a sacred moment with God, hungry for answers, wanting certainty, longing to know the truth and the reality of all that was taking place that first Sunday of Easter. Is it true for me today? That's the question running through their minds. Now, having said all of that, let me take you a little deeper into the Easter story. And come with me and explore one of the deepest theological questions contained in all of Scripture. And you may be saying, Richard, hold on a second. I came this morning because I was invited. I want to, as you said moments ago, be with family and friends. I wanted to come on Easter Sunday because it's kind of the traditional thing to do. Richard, I'm not sure I'm ready for deep theological questions this morning. And if that describes you, neither were the disciples that first Easter either. But there are times when we have to wrestle through big questions. And the big question is this, if He truly is God Almighty, sovereign and providential, transcendent and glory, able to do anything, why doesn't He simply say, I offer forgiveness to everyone? And then, let's move on. Why doesn't he do that? Why do the Gospels spend a third of their time focused on the cross and the resurrection, that last week of Christ? Why doesn't he simply forgive, and we can all go home, and salvation is guaranteed for everyone, and it's no longer a big issue? Why doesn't he simply do that? And he doesn't do it for this reason, because he truly is Almighty God, very God of very God, transcendent in majesty and power and perfect in every aspect of his being. Every thought and action is perfection itself, self-sustaining. That's who he is. And the reason we have a cross is this, that God cannot look at the sin of humanity and smile and pretend and wink and say, it's okay, it's no big deal, because the sin of humanity 
It's a big deal. And it's a big deal for this reason. We see it in all of its captivating, enslaving, addictive power. And we see it when it draws individuals into committing domestic violence. We see individuals debilitated and destroyed by drug and alcoholism. We see families fractured and broken because of the toxicity of sin. That's how important sin is. It is often subtle and silent and starts small, but if it is not reined in and not checked, it ends up with what? It ends up with ethnic cleansing in Central Africa and birthing a holocaust in Europe. That's how serious sin is, and God in all of His perfection will never pretend it doesn't matter. It matters, and it matters enough for Christ to go to the cross because God in His incomparable love and grace asked His Son to go to the cross to be punished. Why? Because of our sin. That's why. And in that incomprehensible, immeasurable love, He ends up punishing Himself, His only Son, in our place. That's why it's important. That's why we celebrate, because we understand and grasp this, that He became sin for us. That's what's happening on Good Friday and moving into Easter Sunday. I'm sure you've seen the old quote, the one who loves us so much makes Calvary possible, is also the one who understands the consequences of our sin and determines that Calvary is necessary. And that's why on Sunday morning we celebrate. That's why on Sunday morning we get excited. That's why on Sunday morning there's no explaining it away. That's why we take it seriously. And Christ at Calvary dealt with sin in all of its horror, in all of its toxicity, in all of its debilitating, crippling power. He dealt with it right there and brings salvation to humanity, and has from that moment on. And that's why it's important. Now, you may be saying, okay, Richard, hold on. I'm not sure I was ready for that, because in my mind, Easter is more about a new start after a difficult period. It's an inspiring story. It's an uplifting story. And if you had to push me into a corner and say to me, do you believe the Easter story? Do you believe what the gospel teaches? I would have to say to you, I'm not so sure. Richard, for me, the resurrection is more a metaphor. It's about the teaching of Christ living on in the memory of the disciples. And that's how I see it, just that inspiring, uplifting story. Well, if that describes you, you may take some comfort in that, but you will never have captured the reality or the truth of what took place. Please understand 
that on Easter Sunday evening, as Luke records, it wasn't a metaphor who said, look at the holes in my hands. It wasn't a simile who said, put your hand in my side. It wasn't simply an uplifting story drafted in metaphorical terms. It was a supernatural bodily resurrection of Christ who died on Friday and rose on Sunday. Please let me encourage you never to mock God with metaphor or turn the supernatural into parable. It is a living, active, bodily resurrection, and the greatest day in all of history took place that first Sunday morning, or that first Easter Sunday, excuse me. The fears, the doubts, the questions, the concerns of the disciples were all answered in the words of Jesus, peace be with you. He knew they were asking the question, how could God possibly let it end like this? And God never let it end like that. How could God possibly be involved in any of this? And in fact, the cross is the crowning glory of His redemptive purposes and plans. That's the point. He was at the center of it all. And does it bring hope? Of course. Is it an inspiring story? Yes. Is it uplifting? Absolutely. But it is so much more than that. It is the climax of God's redemptive purposes. It is the highlight of all of history, which eternity past moved towards the cross, and eternity still to come flows from it. That's what we're celebrating this morning. That's what lies behind the words, He is not here, He has risen. And let me close with one final thought. And if it raises a smile in your heart, that is a good response. And the meme, it was a meme sent to me last week, focuses on Pontius Pilate who was the Roman authority in Jerusalem at the time of the crucifixion, as you know, and Joseph of Arimathea. And Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the Sanhedrin, in other words, the ruling Jewish council. And Joseph approached Pilate and said, may I have the body of Christ? I have a garden tomb I would like to offer as a burial plot. And here is the meme. Pontius Pilate. Joseph, I really don't understand. You're one of the richest men in the region, and you've spent a small fortune on a new tomb for you and your family, and you want to give it to this man, Jesus? And Joseph responds, it's okay. It's just for the weekend. <laughs> just for the weekend. And because of that weekend, countless millions and billions have down the centuries been overwhelmed with the love of God as the significance and the gravitas and the power of Easter Sunday morning has shone into the deepest recesses of their soul, and they have found themselves forgiven, cleansed, given a new opportunity 
falling in love with the immeasurable love of God and knowing intimacy with Him. That's why we celebrate, and that's why we focus on the words. He is not here. He has risen. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank You for the wonder of this Easter Sunday morning. And we thank You that You extend to us Your love and incomparable grace. And this morning, O oh God, we ask for Your forgiveness as well. Cleanse us, renew us, refresh us, and may this Easter Sunday be a fresh start for so many of us as we realize again all that took place that Easter Sunday morning. Father, bless us, all whom we love. May this Easter weekend be the most memorable of all as we remember again the words of the angel, He is not here. He has risen. Amen.